Welcome, everyone. This is the Virtually Church Podcast, a podcast dedicated to thinking more deeply about the differences and values between church and technology. I'm Taylor Mason, and I will be hosting this podcast alongside Jordan Mason and Jeremy Hall. Today, we are joined by our special guest, Dr. Jeff Bishop. Jeffrey Bishop is a philosopher, bioethicist, author, and the Tenant Endowed Chair of Healthcare Ethics at St. Louis University, where he teaches and advises both undergraduates and graduate students. He is most widely recognized and cited for work in medical ethics as related to death and dying, the philosophy of technology, and contributions in the field of medical humanities. Bishop is a physician, holds a PhD from the University of Dallas, and serves on the editorial boards of both the Journal of Medicine and Philosophy and the Journal Christian Bioethics. Dr. Jeff Bishop, we're so happy to have you today and thank you for joining us here on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So Jeff, we've, we've put this podcast together um, to talk about uh, how churches are using technology right now during the pandemic and how they're trying to stay connected and whether or not we as ministers and as the church need to be thoughtful and try to determine our values as a church and make sure we don't lose those in the midst of embracing all forms of technology. So we've had a, a lot of conversations about that and things that get in the way. And today we want to talk about uh, what do we mean exactly by technology? And uh, we want to address the myth that technology is neutral, is a neutral tool. Um, and I know in conversations over the past few months with Jordan, um, she had spent some time in um, your class uh, talking about the philosophy of technology. So Jordan, you know, can you talk a little bit about how you learned about technology and not being neutral? Um, yeah. So I am one of Jeff's um, PhD students, and I've been learning from him for the past two years. And as we have done projects together, and I've done my own writing um, on similar um, issues, I've been exposed to some really fascinating literature on technology that um, I think the average person just doesn't think about. So um, we often think about technology as this you know, this thing, these these tools that we can engage with and that um, we can use, as long as we use them well, then we can use them towards our ends. And the fact is that technology is actually a lot more complicated than that. And it actually has tendencies that are built into it that drive it forward and drive us forward. So Jeff, I'm hoping, um, can you start by addressing this myth that technology is a neutral tool? Why in what sense can we say that um, it has its own tendencies? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, part of it is that, you know, first of all, we think of technology, um, well, we think of it in a couple of ways that it becomes sort of sor sort of commonplace for us. Um, so, so we often would say, when we think of technology, we think of something digital or artificial intelligence or something, uh, something that has something to do with computers right now. Uh, but but this is not technology. Uh, this is a product of a kind of logic, a kind of uh, techno logic, and uh, and so the the technology has something to do with a, a logos, right? Uh, and it has something to do with a logic or a form of reasoning. Um, and uh, 
we 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 but we've we've turned it into just kind of thinking about it merely as a tool that 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 intervenes between me a subject with my intentionality passing through the uh, the the piece of technology the tool onto the object of the world that we want to manipulate um, and, and so it, we, we think of it as passing seamlessly, that my intentionality just passes seamlessly through the tool onto the reality that I want to intervene on. Um, when in fact the technology mediates in any sort of, and we, and we talk about the media as if the media uh, or the medium is something that's kind of this neutral thing that just, that something just passed, that my intention just passes through without, unchanged by the medium, right? The, the tool um, onto a kind of reality that I hope I can focus my intention on and allow the, only those things that I intend, right? To be brought into being um, through that tool. The, the, pro the problem is, is that our, our technologies uh, our tools now um, um, are medium, are, are, they are mediums, right? They, they do, they participate in executing my tendencies, my intentions, right? But at the same time, um, we build certain kinds of automaticities into the tools, right? so that they carry on my intention even beyond my own intending it. So, so an example might be something really simple that, that people like Verbeek use um, as, as an example. Um, an automatic door closer, you know, I know I shouldn't let the energy, the cool air from the house escape into the hot atmosphere outside, uh, that would that 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 actually means I have to cool the house more, which means I burn more energy. And so we find it morally problematic for me to keep the air cool and have you recool it if I'm letting it escape. And so we build automatic door closers, right? So our moral intention is to save the energy, and I have the automatic door closer that helps me to save the energy, right? So it already has my intentionalities being enacted even when I don't necessarily intend them directly uh, through that, right? Well, we can take that and play that out in multiple different, at multiple different levels. Um, so, so what that means is that there, there is a kind of tendency built into the technologies even the most neutral of technologies, seemingly neutral of technologies, like a do automatic door closer, right? Well, the more sophisticated the tools, the, the more those tendencies can reverberate in different ways, in ways that we hadn't even imagined, right? So we might have tools that, uh, like the telephone, right? We intend it to communicate in a certain kind of way. And then we find it being used for various and sundry nefarious purposes, right? Mm. Um, or, the, uh, and so it has those tendencies, right? Tendencies that any other human being coming, coming upon those other tendencies that aren't being utilized, right? Can then pick up with those tendencies and say, aha, I can 
I can conform my intentions to those tendencies, right? To then uncover some new use of the tool or some novel way of seeing through mm. the piece of technology, right? So it's already kind of got 10, uh, it has at first our intentions built into it because usually when we design a tool, we design it with some sort of intention that then will carry out the intention that we want to effect in the world. But then those intentions kind of sit there and kind of begin to spread out and then other people come up on it and then pick up those tendencies that are built there and then get them to do other kinds of work. So, 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 yeah. No, 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 like, so for example, I think of uh, like thinking of Facebook, right? The idea of creating a social network where you can connect with people, you know, but you're not physically in presence. So like you can see someone's family photos that lives in another state and you don't have to go to their home and sit down and look at their photo book. But at the same time, th over time, it's also a way that people have found to use that connectivity to spread fake news or, you know, hurtful, harmful information because it's a tool that has the value of transmitting information quickly. Right. Right. Exactly. And then, and then what happens is once we see that, Oh, we, these things get, they, they start take going off on a tangent on their own. Mm -hmm. and, and enabling something that we find nefarious and problematic, one of a couple of things happen. One, we have to change ourselves so that we can now interact with the tool better so that those things don't unfold, right? So that's a kind of a virtue ethic that we, we have to change ourselves now in light of this new piece of technology so that we don't participate in those 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 dark things that we don't want to unfold with the piece of technology, right? Or we say, oh, we have to build, we have to get Zuckerberg to build pieces into the technology, right? To, in order to keep us from doing those things or to keep others from uh, hijacking them for other nefarious purposes. Kind of like Twitter putting the fact check thing w during Donald Trump's tweets, right? Like exactly. they're so, building that in there. Yeah. And then, then of course people come back and say, well, who are you to check facts? You know, I mean, so, so now, now we, now, so it, it comes back. So if you're a virtue ethicist, you want to say, well, we need the virtues of the person and him or herself and to, uh, to engage with the technology, to change, we can change the technology, we can change ourselves, right? Uh, mm -hmm. and, and we can then even change the ends that we want. So we, we still got subjects, we still got tools, we still have objects, and any one of those can be kind of modified or changed, which is the work we do on ourselves, which is the work technology does on itself, perhaps, especially if you get into now the artificial intelligence realm, the question is, well, what, what sort of what sort of work will the tools do on themselves? Now, that's a. I mean, it's not something we want to talk about at this moment, but yeah. we're we're already moving in a pretty advanced way with that. Uh, but 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 that's that's all part of it. Yeah. But I but I think like some people are going to be like, let's use that Facebook example with um, fake news or you know fake campaigns to sway people's political opinion in a direction where all of its lies, right? Some people see that happening and they go, yeah, but it's not the technology's fault. It's not the tool. It's not Facebook's fault. It's, you know, the, the value, like the technology doesn't have its own values, right? Because it's someone else using that tool for um, a, a bad end, a bad mean. But I know you're 
we're trying to say that no, the technology itself has a value. But how would you like respond to that where someone goes, well, it's not the Facebook's fault. You know, it's other people using the tool tool. in a bad way, right? Or does that make sense? And 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 there's there's no doubt that at some level that is going to be true, right? Mm -hmm. It is it is it is always, you know, if we if we think of it as as the human as the animal that always has a kind of rational intentionality that is always being deployed, um, that is that is there's no doubt that's true at some level. However. The tool itself begins to shape me. Mm. It shapes my moral imaginary, if we can use that word, right? It shapes what I imagine to be possible, right? There's the old saying, and this is a very old saying, and everybody sort of gets what it means. But um, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Mm. It starts to change the way you perceive reality such that I've got this tool, I have to be able to intervene with this tool, right? So it's, it, 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 it subtly changes the, the way that I think of my own being as I act. Now, I'm going to push this into a different, slightly different domain to, to, to kind of make it a, a, well, to kind of bring the point closer, uh, more fully into relief. How about that? Great. There are those who would say, that the human animal is the animal that is by its nature technological. So, so there's evo- there's evolutionary evidence that, that, that the human uh, thumb and tools were developed by hominid species before the frontal lobes of the human ever came into being. Mm. So you think about the human animal is where we're, we have a, a t- t- just a kind of a stupid array of fur on our bodies. I mean, think about it for a minute. I mean, the only things we protect are the top of our heads for, for, for men, maybe for some men, you, you, your face, uh, you don't have, we don't. So in other words, what does fur do? Fur protects, it keeps you insulated. It also makes your body a little bit bigger and allows you to pick up sense perception. We don't have any of that, right? We don't have hard tortoise shells to, to protect us from uh, 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 animal. We don't have spiky teeth to fight off things, right? We, we, what do we have? Well, we say, we, oh, we have our intelligence. That's what makes us different. We have the frontal lobes. There are those out there who say, look, it might be the fact that we could grasp a stick to beat off the animal that then permitted the evolution of the frontal lobes, mm. right? So that our own being is already tied up with our tools. There's an old George Carlin uh, <laughs> skit, not skit, but uh, comedy uh, routine where he talks about stuff. <laughs> I got this stuff. I got that. And if you think about it, when you move, how much stuff do you have? I recently recently watched a film, uh, and I'm blanking on the name of it. I wish I could think of it because it's one of those really artistically beautiful, scary uh, films that kind of leaves it open ended at the end. But they think about moving across from from St. Louis 
uh, you know, St. Louis is the gateway to the West, right? Moving from St. Louis westward across the, the, uh, uh, the, the northern uh, plains uh, into the Rockies, right? And then trying to get to California or to Oregon or wherever. They were packing up all their stuff, like clocks and tables and things like that. Um, and, and in this particular movie, they were having to throw that crap out just to get across because they couldn't find a water source. And, and you find that all of these tools that they needed different kinds of tools. They needed tools that permitted them to find water. It needed other kinds of tools that, that were, were necessary or they weren't going to make it. Right. And I, I started thinking about just in watching that film, I was, I was sort of thinking about, you know, we really are the animal that needs stuff in order mm. to be able to survive. So, so what I, what that means is that maybe the stuff, maybe the tools themselves are already shaping how, how we imagine our own being all the way back, all the way back. Right. Um, I, I know that's not something that most people want to think about or, or hear, but, but I, I think, I think the point is, so we don't have to put all of the honest on the technology. We, the, the typical thing we do is we put all of the honest onto us. But what we probably need to be talking about is the way that we mutually shape each other. In other words, how we are shaped by the tools that we have, and then how we then come to shape the tools to affect the things we want to bring into being. But then the things we bring into being themselves reverberate back and begin to shape us as well, right? So we're always in these, 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 these movements of becoming in, 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 in uh, 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 yeah, we're always in these movements of becoming. Uh, and, 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 and lest we have no telos, then becoming what? I, I, you know, we don't know sometimes, right? Uh, we're left standing here imagining what it is that we're becoming, it, at least if, if you're not theologically inclined. So are we cyborgs? <laughs> yeah. At, at, at some level, there are people who would want to say, yeah, we are always already cyborgs, right? We, are, we always are already the animal that needs tools, right? Um, and at, at some level, I think that's right. Um, but we're also the animal that can abstract from that. <laughs> we're also the animal that can drop it off and choose not to engage it in a certain way, right? Um, and so, Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I think that's a perfect like kind of connection and segue into one of the purposes of why we're having this conversation and how it relates to a church community is what you just said. We, we are one of the few that are able, or we, what makes us so special is we are able to use these tools, but we're also able to drop them off and decide not to use them. And I think part of our discussions during this podcast series is trying to determine how do we incorporate as ministers or as churches new forms of technology that can connect us and do church, especially during a pandemic where we can't be in person, but also where's the moment or where's the line or how do we navigate our world and determine, Hey, we're going to use these tools, but we're going to decide to drop off these tools. Although we might be feeling pressures as ministers from everyone else to do this or to do that or to use you know, this form of Zoom or to use uh, this type of experimental way to connect and do Sunday school or Bible study or whatever the case is. Um, 
Well, let's and, let's take a take, let's, let's talk. I mean, I that's fascinating, and I, I think this is exactly right uh, uh, the right sort of question to be asking. But I think we could let's back up from that question historically for a moment and just think about uh, the ways that churches are always engaged in techniques, if if not over technology in techniques, yeah. right? So let's let's think of it. Even if we just chant our prayers with a voice, um, most of us would have to use a tool, a prayer book, for instance, right? Out of which we chant or a hymnal, right? That's a piece of technology, right? It's, mm-hmm. a, te- it's a technique that is a, in aid of memory. Now, the, 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 if you think about epic poetry, even, the epic poems of the ancient Greeks, for instance, um, they already have rhyme and meter. Before they had writing, they had rhyme and meter and, and a series of repetitions. They always did things in a certain kind of order with a certain number of repetitions um, that, that then permitted the, the, the reciter of the poem to, to learn it, right? So even, even if we just look at epic poetry or chant, right, the whole point of the technique was to shape the actor so that the, 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 the reciter of the poem or that the orator in, the, in prayer mm-hmm. could actually do the work of praying, right, or of reciting the poem. Um, so, 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 so even if we want to say, well, let's drop all te- technologies out, even our techniques, right, are, are there that don't have any, don't carry much content. They do end up carrying content, but the techniques of meter and rhyme, they mm-hmm. don't carry a lot of content per se, but they per, they per, it's that technique and that rhyme, that meter, that, that then allows the, the memory <laughs> to ride more easily for uh, this, this being that's supposedly really intelligent, but has trouble memorizing things, right? Except so you would, through those techniques. So all the way back, we see we see that we're having to use some sort of techniques to get to it. Yeah, go ahead. And you, and you would say that those techniques are, or, or the, the, I'm trying to think of how to phrase that with the idea of values, because that's something that we're trying to hit on is like yeah. the values of that technique are to help people remember things, right? Help, help to bring the content into being for me and for others as I'm reciting the poem or reciting the prayer. Yeah. Great. Go ahead. Well, and me. also those techniques also serve to manage the embodiment of the reciter. So the meter tells you when to breathe as you speak mm-hmm. so that you can continue to speak and speak and speak without getting winded, right? Yeah. So it also serves as a way to mediate our embodiment and carry out this task that we have in front of us. So that technology has the, like, is created to have a specific value in its own self. Like the meter itself has its own value, the the technology that's created, regardless of what the other person is doing or or how they're using it. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's right, and I and I think you know I think the I think for me the most beautiful poetic uh, rendering of 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 the breathing. <laughs> uh, if you look 
this is my estimation, I'm no expert in this, but if you look at the Book of Common Prayer, you will find phrases that, that it is marked out in phrases that, uh, that uh, one can say in the length of, a, of about one breath. Okay. Um, and it, it's, it, it's, it, so your phraseology then began. So in other words, there's something about me and my embodied status, as Jordan pointed out, that is being put into the meter that then allows me to carry memory on that meter mm-hmm. and then to reconstitute me, my memory as I, you know, as I speak it out which did shapes the memories and the through the rhyme and the meter of others around. Right. Um, and then we put, then we put it into books. Right. And so mm-hmm. the books become the medium or let's move to music. We start out usually with the human voice. Most of the liturgies that were done, uh, uh, you know, before organs were always chanted with the human voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 organ uh, the, the you know the theologians have kind of retrospectively said ah the organ it's the it's the instrument um, the organ and the violin are the two instruments that sound most like the human voice and therefore those are truly permitted in worship mm-hmm. um, so so there, then we create sort of theological reasons as to why these two instruments these tools are are permitted in aiding us in worship, in praying, so to speak, right? Uh, but they also permit us to pray in another way, right? It, it's no longer just the words, right? But the notation and the, uh, and the, and the, the melodies and the harmonies themselves are begin to communicate theological content, right? Hmm. Um, and and so, so, so the technologies are already, the, the techniques are already interwoven into into it right there all right well now we move that to bands okay now uh-huh. to my my more traditional ear um i just don't like drums in worship I, i'm sorry <laughs> it's it just it's not something i can get into uh it, it you know uh you know, I, 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 I could, I could get by with trumpets, you know, okay. <laughs> you know, it, but, but yeah, guitars, I, I don't know. I love the guitar, <laughs> but mm-hmm. in worship, it just seems weird, you know? Um, so and synthesize, you know, I can't, I can't do the, the you know, the, the, the sort of keyboard music that's sort of electronic. <laughs> so it's so old school. About yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, here, but here, here's the thing. Traditionalist. Yeah. I, yeah right. Well, maybe <laughs> I'm also saying that, we use these tools. We create these tools to mm. carry our content that then come to shape us that then kind of, and so I think with any tool, with any set of techniques that we use, every set of techniques that we use, both enable something to come into being mm-hmm. that we want, but they also disable other things from coming into being. So let's step back. Chant enables a certain form of praying to come into being, but it might foreclose on other forms of praying, right? Yeah. Or uh, a prayer book might enable certain forms of praying, but it might disable other ways of praying. Or an organ might enable certain forms of prayer, 
but it might disable it. So the same would be true for the popular, you know, band with, you know, drums and guitars mm -hmm. and synthesizers and all of this stuff that kind of makes the modern uh, worship service of many uh, uh, Protestant churches. Uh, we, we should be asking the question, well, what is it enabling? But we then have to ask, what is it also disabling? So and can we have you to take that second part seriously as well? Yeah. And so can you help us take that into pretty like specific and probably popular examples of what we're currently doing in the church right now, which would be like the use of Zoom or streaming your worship service, or I don't know, what else, Jeremy, have you been doing at your church or that you've been hearing? Mm -hmm. um, the uh, pastors here are doing daily devotional thoughts through short videos um, every Sunday, the new service for the week is made available um, after a Zoom Sunday school class. And at one o'clock, I sort of debrief the service. I uh, get on Facebook Live, and for whoever is there to listen, we walk through the service and we're like, and I ask questions, and sometimes people respond, but it's really, it's a pastor monologuing about why the service is the way it is. And that's become part of the rhythm of our worship week. And and so, Jeff, like, if for a minister that's listening or even a church member that's trying to think and be in dialogue or help understand what their church is doing right now, take take all of that and, and help us kind of walk through how we might have to think differently to start establishing what these forms of technology we're using are, has its own values. Like how do we determine and figure out what those things have values and how it's affecting us? All right. So the, the first, the first question is, is zoom like a seamless, almost immediate, unmediated, um, conduit for information. Okay. We, we want to believe that it just kind of takes every part of my intention and just kind of without changing, just comes right on through, right? Um, but that might be enabling a certain way of thinking um, that uh, is already regnant in, um, how do I put this without being terribly offensive? Um, it's okay. Do it. With, Do it. We all with, know what you're going to say. <laughs> with with so many Protestants around, <laughs> uh, you know, there's a way. <laughs> Go ahead. No, no, this is great. Go ahead. You can bash on Protestants. We're, we're that's good all right. That. That's all right. Like I said, it enables certain things and it disables others, right? So, so there's there's a way that there's already uh, uh, with with the printing press. Uh, you know, the printing press enabled a certain way of thinking that mm. what transformed the world, no doubt about it, right? But it also disabled because it also made it sound as if God spoke it, somebody recorded it, we reproduce it, and now we've got the damn truth unmediated because mm. we've got the word. 
oh, it's translated into languages. Well, then some of you need to go read some Greek because, you know, that's what the language Jesus spoke. And that's the language that the New Testament was written in. So then once we get to the Greek, we will have it completely unmediated. God must have been speaking Greek to the Greek speakers. And he wrote mm-hmm. it that they wrote it down in Greek. And now we just have to. Right. It creates the image of of, of knowledge as information, as just some data that goes from one point to the other without being mediated. It goes from God directly into my head when I'm reading scripture, right? Yeah. So it already permits, it enabled lots of wonderful things, the printing press, but it also begins to shape Protestant theology, their Mm -hmm. own reflection without thinking of it as being mediated by the printing press, (laughs) their own reflection about it enabled certain kinds of things, but it also required them to change the way they think about knowledge now. So that knowledge is merely information. Mm-hmm. So there's a way in which Zoom might be doing the same sort of thing. Zoom almost, you know, these, these virtual technologies that allow us to do exactly what we're doing, right? It, 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 it's almost as if they just kind of reproduce the printing press in a way, right? Because it's mm-hmm. the idea that you know, Jeremy can preach it <laughs> um, and then he can, and then it's going to go right out there in the way he intended it. <laughs> and it's going to do the work that the word of God does when the word of God acts, right? And it's not, the medium does nothing to it, doesn't change it at all, right? Um, and that information then gets deposited in his parishioners, right? Um, but then notice something, he had to go and debrief it all. <laughs> Uh-oh, now, now we've already had to come back to kind of say, oh, what is it we were doing here? Mm-hmm. Because there's probably is something lost in that metaphor of, a a seamless mirror, a clear lens, a lens that is no lens that does not mediate Mm. where information just goes right through it. Right. So, so, so we, we, I think we need to start to hit press pause for a moment, not, not, not literally on the recording, but pause for a minute and think about what is being enabled, but what is being disabled by virtue of the technology. Well, when, Jordan and I were having these discussions, um, you know, for her being Episcopalian and not Protestant, there's different values. Debatable. Debatable. Right? <laughs> we still aren't sure if we're Protestant There's going to be some, there are going to be comments now. I know. You know yeah. like, All right, Send your yeah. emails in. Fact check. Comment. Yeah. As Baptists, we uh, could argue about that. I think, I think this would be a place, <laughs> this would be a place real quick to plug that if you yeah, do have sure. comments or or thoughts or questions, or if you want to debate us on whether or not Episcopalians or Protestants, you can email <laughs> us at virtuallychurch at gmail.com. That was uh, seamless. So that we can be, yeah, I know, right? You like that segue. <laughs> um, no, but, you know, Jordan, when we were talking, you were saying um, that less for the for Baptists, since I'm at a Baptist church and Jeremy's at a Baptist church, but often a lot of Protestants too, the idea of information transaction is 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 more present but in mm-hmm. the episcopal church there's more tr- there's more things that are done in your tradition for worship or otherwise that requires more embodiment can you talk a little right. bit about that yeah so the liturgical style that we use and the book of common prayer you know built into that are these techniques that are not just information sharing and can't actually be replicated over something like Zoom. So like, for instance, the smells 
of of the place where you are like that puts you in a certain mindset when you smell incense for instance or um watching the priest break the bread um at a certain distance from you closer to the altar than you are like that says something right or um kneeling down on the pew when you say the prayer of confession is different than if you're at home and you just kneel on your carpet with your dog you know it's a, a different sort of sacred space so the embodiment uh the the repetitions the movements the sights smells sounds um they communicate and they say something to you about what it is you are um who you're worshiping and, and what it is that you're doing and and Jeff, I, I would ask, um, how would you take what Jordan was saying and have that in conversation with someone else that says, Hey, look, you know, we can make all that happen like through technology. Like yeah. we're working on I know this is, this isn't a little bit more extreme, but just for an example, like we're working on, you know, scent smells that will come out of your TV <laughs> that will smell just like what it is in the church. And we're going to provide you with virtual reality headset where you're fully immersed and you can look up and see, you know, the, the stained glass, the stained or, glass mm -hmm. windows and you can navigate your way through the sanctuary and feel like you're connected. I read an article doing some research for this where someone said, in fact, watching uh, worship online is better because I can physically, I, I can be closer to the pulpit than I would be if I was sitting in person because I'd be 50 feet away versus now the 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 preacher is like right there on my screen so like how would you jeff you know navigate that conversation for some people that are saying look actually this whole virtual stuff we can pretty much do everything that we've been doing through embodiment or through in person and we can just translate that or i think another thing that we talked about last episode is pastors and ministers are are worried that if we don't translate everything we've done in person, we're going to lose the church or I'm going to lose my job or we're going to lose, um, you know, the, the connectivity that we had before this pandemic. You got to innovate, got to keep going. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Look at some level. Um, I don't disagree with the person who would say all of those things, but the first question has to be, well, what are we enabling but also let's not, let's not pretend <laughs> that we're not disabling something, right? You already have a faith in this medium that is unquestioned. If you believe that you can translate everything that is humanly possible in a worship space into something that can be done virtually through artificial intelligence or virtual experience machines or whatever, right? You already have a faith in it, right? Question it, question that faith. Ask yourself if that is in fact true of the medium itself, right? Of the technology. Um, I, I think, I think, I think I'm going to say this and I, and again, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's going to anger all, all my Protestant friends, I'm afraid, but uh, the, the, you know, there's a way in which Protestantism is already prone to this, right? To, to, because, because for uh, at least a certain brand of Episcopalian, uh, for Catholics, for the Orthodox, it, it's the the very enfleshment of God is experienced 
in the liturgy. Um, the word is made flesh as it was in the beginning <laughs> with Christ's incarnation, right? In the words of consecration and the epiclesis. There is a tactile experience. One of the things I think that, that and even a, a great phenomenologist like uh, Maurice Merleau-Ponty points this out, that the touch is perhaps the most important sense because it is the one sense that in acting is acted upon. Mm. When I see something, I am not necessarily being seen. When I hear something, I am not necessarily being heard. When I smell something, I'm not necessarily being smelled, right? (laughs) But if I'm touching, I'm at the same time being touched, okay? So the the, the sense of touch um, is is a sense perception that you get when you're physically present with others there so that greet one another with a holy kiss means something. Mm. People reverence and kiss icons in Orthodox and Catholic churches, more so Orthodox churches, touch. I'm longing to touch the saint who, whose image is in this, is enfleshed in this wood, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? So the idea of enfleshment and flesh and touch is there in these liturgical traditions like Catholicism or Episcopalianism uh, or um, uh, uh, Orthodoxy that, that I think Protestants want to reclaim or need to reclaim or ought mm-hmm. to reclaim, it, even if they don't want to reclaim it. Um, and, and, I, and so I, I, I guess the question is, well, what the, there are dimensions of that that I don't think can ever really truly be replicated in a kind of Zoom church session, right? Yeah. Uh, the greeting one another with a holy kiss is just not really possible. Go ahead, Jordan. So, yeah, so this brings us to something that I was hoping we would talk about, which is the tendency of technology to um, embrace efficiency and efficacy. And if you think about like the industrial revolution, and sort of these big um, industries, like that sort of technology that we think of after the Industrial Revolution. Factory production makes everything the same, right? So sameness would be a value that's built into a factory. And so I just kind of wonder, you know, if the services that we can replicate on Zoom or on YouTube Live, um, if they aren't bent more towards efficiency and efficacy than they would be if we were in person, where we are maybe more receptive to the Holy Spirit or maybe more receptive to interruptions like a baby crying or um, or someone forgetting to stand up to read the scripture, you know, something like that. So I just wonder if, if maybe some of those tendencies can come through. I, I think that's, that's a, it's a very good point. Particularity matters. Uh, the, the matter matters. Um, and, uh, and I think that, that, that there's a way in which uh, seeing uh, Ms. Ms. Jones, who always sits 
in the pew right here, right in front of me, uh, at a distance <laughs> from the pulpit, right? Yep. Uh, at a distance from the altar, right? Actually, something is being communicated there. I'll give you another example. Um, in my parish, I work at the altar sometimes, and there's nothing more powerful than seeing old Ms. Jones with her arthritic knees walking up to the altar, or, you know, Roy, uh, uh, who is dying of pancreatic cancer, walking up to the altar, all of us coming to the same spot in order to receive uh, the grace of the sacraments, right? Um, that, that, you know, I'm sure we'll say, oh, Zoom people will say, oh, we'll figure out a way to make that, you know, be the same. Yeah. And I don't know if that's true. Yeah. There is a program that uh, one of our great mega churches has offered for free to the church public that uh, it's like you can get it at onlinechurch.tv or something like that. And it's a, a host for your streaming service that allows people to click to raise their hands in worship. They can click to <laughs> say amen. It's got a thing for, so the pastor can do a, with every eye closed and head bowed, just put your hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. You can click to raise your hand. I want to know if there's like a special recommitment button or something. But you, <laughs> you can walk the aisle by clicking here to walk yeah. the aisle. Yeah. Well, you almost, think about what, what, you, what this means about what we think of ourselves, right? We already think of ourselves, and I've heard people in Christian communities who are very much into technology uh, who will say something to the effect of, well, it's all virtual anyway, right? In other words, even our own experience at, in the flesh is just a virtual experience because they think of, our, of, of us our, as ourselves as some sort of soul that's just mm-hmm. kind of separable from a body that just uses the body as a perception uh, uh, device, a perpetual uh, what do they call it? a simulation device, right? That that simulates the real. We don't ever really see uh, color anyway, right? Mm. It's just light reflecting, and so it's just mediated in a, it, through the body in a certain way, and it's it just neurons a part in the of, brain. It, well, not even neurons to the point where the soul or some thinking thing, Descartes, obviously here, uh, some thinking thing that that kind of somehow is approximated to the neurons in such a way that it tickle you know makes something happen in the soul right so it's not even neurons for for, for many of them so it already has to make me make the soul into a form that is about information information the form of the soul the form of the soul is the form of the body in traditional uh, Greek and uh, early Christian metaphysics. The soul is the form of the body, but now it is just that which is informed, right? It's not the form. It's in, it's what is informed, right? So the soul experiences through the technology of our meat suit. So it's perfectly uh, okay right. to engage with a simulacra of an that's online right. worship service through the simulation of our physicality to mediate to the form of our ultimate existence. That's, that's, uh, that's, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Yes. That's, that's, that is the articulation of the problem. And so I think, I think, I think people need to actually pause mm. and say, okay, technology is enabling some things, 
but it's also forcing us to do these sort of backhanded twist our bodies in a certain or our minds in a certain way so we can understand what is actually going on right uh but but that now technology is making it so we don't even think of ourselves as anything but exactly. this sort of information right so so i i think we i think i think you know we i think protestants again would lean tend to be more shaped by the, by this just by virtue of what happened in, in the Protestant Reformation with the centrality of the printing press enabling it to become what it became which then led to more theological reflection upon it of course which then of course blossomed and gave us beautiful things in the history of Christian thought absolutely but it also foreclosed on yeah. <laughs> and probably inhibit us from thinking and imagining things in a different way and so I think Protestants might just pick this up too quickly and not realize that it's also disabling and disforming us in some ways. So, oh, go ahead. I think that actually Protestantism does have some resources to counter this. Like I think specifically we talked about last episode um, that the act of preaching in a lot of Protestant denominations is a moment where the spirit of God encounters you in the preaching of the word or in the reading of scripture. And that that's a very particular moment that um, the spiritual and, and the physical are one. And so I think that if some Protestants think through this, they might, through their own tradition, find some resources for saying, hey, maybe we'll do some live services. Maybe mm -hmm. that makes sense for us, but maybe we won't record them in the sense that they'll be stored up on YouTube somewhere. So I, so I completely agree. Uh, Bart did his best <laughs> to counteract the te worst tendencies within within Protestantism, and the the idea of the charisma, uh, the preaching of the word, uh, it is is completely an attempt to kind of sacramentalize. Uh, uh, you, know, the, the, you know, many many of the Protestants transform the sacraments into these just again these artifices <laughs> that communicated something, some sort of information uh, that themselves didn't matter that much because the the the, the the medium didn't matter that much because we do it better through the re reading of the word or the mm -hmm. speaking of the word. Right. So, so that, Oh, it, it can't actually be that the bread becomes body. It, that technology, that sounds, Ooh, that sounds yeah. weird, but, it, but they're more interested in the, in the information flow through the bread, right. Or through the word. But, but I, but I still want to say, you know, there's a way in which uh, preaching of the word uh, really only engages the body of the preacher. Uh, it engages the brain of the listeners, <laughs> no, no doubt. I'm not going to. I'm not, not not denying that. Um, but it really only engages the body of the preacher, right? Um, and, and and so 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 even even just leaving it to the preaching of the word or or the reading of the word or the charisma itself, you know. And this is where I always kind of push my Bardian friends. You know, it's like, well, you know. To, to what extent are you still dependent upon a, a kind of technique that, and, and what does that technique enable, but what does it disable, you know? And I think those are still the conversations that people need to be having, even, even in, the, in the attempts to, to salvage uh, 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 the worst tendencies that a particular technology might enable uh, or before us, rather. Since we currently, for most people during this pandemic, can't be in person because ministers and churches are trying to make sure we protect each other, you know, is it even possible for us to do 
things where that elderly person can come down and kneel before the altar or, or do we have to, you know, George, I think Jordan has said this, that we need to realize and admit that we can't do it. So we need to spend some time admitting and lamenting that that's not possible and hoping for a day, right? Is that what you're saying? And maybe, you know, maybe think about some of the ascetic practices of the church and some of these, I mean, this is not the first time that the church hasn't been allowed to meet for some reason or another. I mean, there have been churches driven underground in countries before and, um, or, you know, there's times where people can't take the sacraments and what other sorts of prayers are available to them. Um, I just think our, our tradition is so much more expansive than just either we meet in person Hmm. Or we meet as if in person online. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, you know, and uh, that's, I think that's right. And I want to say that it, it, it's um, um, what will we, what we, uh, what I hope we long for. And I, this is the, the, the promise that Zoom will do everything that we could ever want it to do. And we don't <laughs> necessarily need this. Right. I think that's exactly the wrong answer. The right answer is, is that we, we start to long for that which we had before and that this is a temporizing effort so that we can get back to the enfleshed embracing of one another who have, for those of us who have been in, embraced by the word made flesh, right? So, so it, it's, it's, it, that is the central act of worship this enfleshed body being embraced by the word made flesh and everything else that, that zoom might promise is only a promissory note for that. Hmm. Uh, we can't say it, it's going to substitute. And that's yeah. where I think we get the problems. And, and I would argue in, in, in the worst forms of, of the, or the, the, uh, what do they call it? The, uh, I don't know, that special word for Protestant reformers, uh, the extreme reformers or whatever. That's what they did. They threw everything out thinking, oh, we well, just do it this way. You know, uh, when, in, and in fact, we, we, they needed to be brought back from that in some way and, and, and think about, okay, what is it enabling? Sure. That's great. But what has been disabled that the church itself actually does embody? Yeah. That's great. So at the end of each of our uh, podcast episodes, uh, we wanted to do something that in the midst of the pandemic and all the craziness of going on in the world, uh, something that um, we see in the world that is uh, bringing us hope. So um, we spend just a really short time at the end of the episode, uh, just mentioning something that we see either in the church or in the world that is bringing us hope today. So, um, so I will, we'll start with you, Jeff. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the least the experience, the least experience of doing this on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there anything currently like within the church as a whole or the, your specific church or, or within the world that's giving you hope right now? Well, uh, yeah, boy, I think, I think there's a way, uh, that I through through technology through the medium uh, of technologies uh, like this, uh, you know, there, there's a way that we can communicate with each other and see a kind of um, I don't know solidarity with Christians around the world. Mm. Um, and and I it, it, so I just saw uh, 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 somebody I follow on Twitter was uh, liked something that 
uh, somebody that I didn't follow on Twitter found, uh, and it was a photograph of a Dominican nun wearing a mask, holding up a sign that says, this is evil, hashtag uh, Black Lives Matter. And <laughs> I, I said to myself, I want to be her friend. I actually said that in the, <laughs> in the, in the, in the, uh, in my retweeting of it. Uh, and, uh, and, and so there's a, there's a way that's, to me, that's the positive thing that technology can, can, can mm. enable in a time when, it, when, think about it, if we didn't have this, we would really be isolated if we didn't have the technology. Uh, uh, that said, we cannot let the technology come to disable us uh, and prevent us from thinking about things that we must think about. Great. Jordan? Yeah. Um, I'm finding hope in turning off my self-view on Zoom. Do you guys do this? It's so empowering to not stare at yourself. Um, <laughs> I didn't know no, my real answer too. as well as that is that um, I've noticed through this pandemic that all of my neighbors are home all the time, um, which could be really annoying, but I'm just embracing like we're actually really getting to know our neighbors. We see them every single day and it's been really fun. Um, I'll go and then Jeremy, you can go last. So we mix up the order. Um, so I'm being encouraged by one of my church members who, uh, you know, is a senior adult, but I was on the phone with him just yesterday and he's like, you know, I'm really just missing being in person. I'm still connected online, but I just miss, you know, being with my church. Um, and then too, he was like, but you know, if there's any way that I can help you guys as ministers, or if I can help someone else, you know, I got a little bit of money or if I can do anything else, just let me know. And just those little things that you hear that people in your church are committed to caring for others, like just brings me hope in the midst of all of the, the craziness and all of the sad stories and everything else that's going on. That's awesome. Uh, last night, um, I had the opportunity to talk with the uh, teenagers at my church, and uh, we opened that time with just a, hey, what do you want to talk about? What's going on? Uh, what's good in your week? What's rough in your week? And we got talking, obviously, about the things in the news, about George Floyd, about the protests, about um, here in Atlanta. It's something that's going on all around us, and they had... Th Maybe it's because they, they have the time, but they've thought deeply about mm. these things. And their perception around all of it was so beautifully nuanced in ways that no media outlet could have presented them with that it just, I, I am excited about the future because they're, they're talking about like, yeah, the, so they're not angry at anyone. They understand uh, all the sides at play. They see the protester and they see the pent up aggression and they, they understand um, like the, they were talking about the plight of the small business owner who has finally had the opportunity here in Georgia to open their store. And now there's a protest in front of it and they have to be worried even if they support the protest because that might keep people. And I was just blown away with the level of nuance that these teenagers were bringing to their thinking and wondering why we can't get that out of adults. That's, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you everybody uh, for talking today. Um, a special thanks to Dr. Jeff Bishop. Um, just, you know, he, 
Dr. Jeff Bishop is a philosopher, bioethicist, author, and tenant endowed <laughs> chair of healthcare ethics at St. Louis University. Um, you know where he teaches and advises both undergraduates and graduates. So smooth. Uh, you can find more about him, and uh, if you go on the SLU website, you can see all of his journal articles and books that you have published. And we just thank you so much for your time, Jeff, today to to speak with us. Thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. Also, uh, we want to thank you for listening and joining us uh, during this uh, episode. It's been a great time to have conversations and we hope you enjoy it too. Uh, Please feel free to subscribe to our podcast anywhere that you find podcasts. We're there. We're on uh, uh, iTunes. We're on Spotify and Stitcher, right, Jeremy? Um, So you can like us, leave us a comment, rate us on iTunes. It's a great way for us to get discovered. You can also find us on Facebook. And you can follow us on Facebook and, and share. We'll uh, update you with some uh, when new episodes are going to be dropped. We're also going to share some photos uh, from backstage. And so you can vote on who has the best beard. Sorry, yeah, Jordan. behind the yeah, um, it's not me. And finally, we just wanted <laughs> we just wanted to mention that uh, we want to hear from you. Uh, so if you have thoughts, questions, concerns, feel free to send us an email at virtuallychurch@gmail.com. And maybe next time we can spend some time answering your questions. Uh, We would love to do that. So thanks again, everyone. And uh, I hope you continue to stay safe during this time and hope we can talk again soon.